0: I think there's only one thing better than seeing your children start to move into what God, God's called them to, and that's seeing your grandchildren. Amen, amen. Well, happy Mother's Day, mothers, grandmothers, great grandmothers, spiritual mums, mums to be. Uh, it's just great that our society still has this one day a year to especially honor mothers because it's not an easy job. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk today, and this message is not just for mums; it's for everyone, how Jesus is the way maker. He will make a way where there is no way. Now, if we were to take a survey, if I were to ask how many of you have ever had a situation in your life that seemed impossible, whether it was a health issue, a job, a um, relationship, finances, and you know that God came through. How many could honestly say, you know, there are times when God made a way where there is no way. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. He is the way maker. Uh, Let's turn to, I want to just mention something really quickly because it's so awesome to see these young people taking notes. I mean, I was in tears last night looking over during worship. I was telling some of the moms this morning to these 12-year-old girls in worship. Pressing in, entering in, taking notes with old-fashioned paper and pen. Um, not that there's anything wrong with your device, but I want to encourage you. This is just something. This is just me, okay? This isn't from the Bible. I believe when someone comes into church with no paper, no pen, no device, no nothing, my opinion, they're saying, there's nothing I'm going to hear today or God's going to say today that's worth remembering. Nothing. And, you know, it might be a line out of the song. Might not be the message. Might not be, you know, on the, hope you've got the church app. You can follow the notes. Sometimes one sentence can be life-changing, and it might not even be the sentence on the mobile app. And um, my good friend from Florida, Sue David, how many remember when Jerry and Sue David, they've ministered here a few times. And for a season, her mother, who's um, now... Well, she's 87 now, but at the time she was 84, she lived with them. And we went to church together on a Saturday night down in Florida. And uh, I've got my device out, and, you know, there's always something worth writing down. But I look over. Her name is Eleanor Stern. She is writing feverishly, taking notes through the whole message. She's 84 years old. And I commented to Sue the next day. I said, your mom, 84. 84. Doesn't have the attitude, you know, I know it all. She's been in ministry her whole life, been a missionary most of those years. Uh, Sue, my friend Sue, was born in uh, Kenya, raised in uh, Nairobi. No, raised in Tanzania. Anyhow, they were missionaries their whole life. And here she is taking notes, and I mentioned it to Sue. And Sue said, well, you should see what she does with those notes. Because they shared a condo that was just French doors. And her mom lived on the other side. And she said, all week long, I hear my mom praying over those notes. Asking God what he wanted to speak to her. 84 years old. She's apparently written a book. It's on Amazon. It's called You're Never Too Old. And when she was 23 years old, by the way, just to make the connection, some of you remember Bo Stern that spoke at our women's breakfast. This is her mother-in-law. Okay, so Eleanor Stern is Sue David's mom, and her son, Steve Stern, is the one who died of ALS a couple, couple years ago. Um, she had a prophetic word when she was 23 years old. God spoke to her through a prophet and said, you're going to open an orphanage in Africa. That was the word. And like I said, they pastored for many years in the States. They were missionaries. Guess how old she was when they opened the orphanage in Africa. 75, 75, some people, when God's word doesn't come to pass in a year, people are flipping out and getting depressed, 75, she opened that orphanage, and it's still going, her son and his wife are, are running it today, but here's something you might want to write down, but I think it's in the, I think it's on the church app, young people, you got to learn this, life is not a series of chances, but a series of choices, if you learn that one thing, you'll go through life without a victim mentality, without a woe is me, without everything goes wrong for me. Life is the, the choices you make. And that's why it's so important, you young people, you got your whole life in front of you. You haven't chosen your career path yet or your spouse. You want to make the right choices. And Jesus is the way maker. He will make a way where there is no way. He wants to lead you and guide you. Psalm uh Isaiah forty three nineteen, b the second half of the verse says, he will make a path in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He will make a path in the wilderness and streams in the desert. How many know there's no path if you're out in the forest? If you've ever been in a desert, there's no streams, but our God can make a way when in the natural, there is no way. I'm going to share some examples this morning of times when God made a way uh, for me or for us and times when he didn't, when, when he slammed a door. I'll get to closed doors later on. But uh, an interesting thing happened to me. I think I've kind of lost track. I, I've, when I go back years, I think, where were my kids at the time or what house did we live in? How many do that? And Jason was in Bible college, so let's say it was roughly 20 years ago. And uh, a friend of mine had a job demoing over at the Bay Limeridge. You know what demos are, the, those people you run from. They hand you the blotters, you see them, and you run the other way. My friend had a job at the Bay, and she phoned me on Christmas week, busiest week of the year. I was working at the church, but I was thinking I would like to do something else where I can not just everything be at the church, I'd like to meet some other women. My friend phoned and she said, would you come in and work every night with me Christmas week? Because it's super busy. Uh, All you'll be doing pretty much is gift wrapping. When people buy fragrance, you're going to gift wrap it. You won't be demoing. Uh, I said, you know, I kind of might like to do that. She goes, well, there is one negative. They can't pay you. You won't get paid. So I'm thinking Christmas week, my busiest week of the year. They want me to come in and wrap gifts and not get paid. But, but then she said, they'll pay you in product. And I thought, okay, it's a good company. It was L'Oreal, which owns a lot of... It owns um, Ralph Lauren, Giorgio Armani, Paloma Picasso, Lave It owned a lot. So I thought, sounds good. So I did it. After the end of the week, I thought, I would really like to do this sometime. It's seasonal. It fits into my job at the church. The money is good. You can pretty much make your own hours. So when it was over, I... Uh, Back then typed on a typewriter Apparently some of these guys don't know what that is (laughs) The rep Someone at head office that you never see And just thanked her for the opportunity And gave her all my information Just in case Well a couple weeks later I get a phone call And I answer the phone And the woman says hi She goes "Uh, I'm the new rep for L'Oreal She said your former rep uh, Isn't here anymore And I'm thinking I don't have a former rep Never worked at L'Oreal she seemed to think I was an employee. She goes, you got a pen and paper? I got your hours for you. So thank God. I played it cool. I got a pen and paper. She goes, by the way, the, the demo at Eaton's has quit. We need you to go down to Eaton's. So here's your hours. So I'm writing all this down feverishly and trying to act like, you know. And she goes, oh, by the way, um, in your first week, which was going to be in a couple of days, I'm going to want you to do an Aqua de Joe outpost over in lingerie. So I went, okay, no problem. And I'm thinking, what the heck is an Aqua Joe outpost? And why would I be in lingerie? But I wrote it all down. I said, yep, no problem, I can do that. Hung off the phone and thought, what just happened? I phoned Lynn Portillo, who at the time, you may not know this, worked in that department in that store, in Eaton's Lymridge Mall, on the Club Monaco counter. I phoned her up. And I said, I was bragging. I said, Lynn, guess who the new L'Oreal demo at Eaton's Limeridge is? She goes, who? I said, me. And there's a pause, and she goes, Joanne, there's got to be a mistake. And I said, I know there's a mistake, but I got the job. She says, it's the top account. Eaton's is a flagship store. They are not going to hire someone who's never sprayed perfume on a blotter. And I said, I know that, but they did and I start in two days. Can you help me out here? (laughs) Lynn was great. She taught me how to spray the perfume on the blotter, not in someone's face. She taught me everything. So by the time I went in, I acted cool, walked in because then you meet your real bosses, the ones on the floor who have to like you. And uh, acted cool, acted like I'd, I've done this before. And then a couple hours into my shift, when I was starting to feel confident, I said, oh, by the way, uh, my rep wants me to do an Aqua De Joe outpost over in lingerie. And the boss looks at me and she goes, that's not going to happen. And I said, okay, no problem. I'm going, thank God it's not going to happen because I don't even know what it is. <laughs> but God, that's an example in my life when I look back, and say, God sovereignly did that. And that job, I did that for about 12, 15 years. And I met who are now some of my best friends. That's where I met Kim Renaud and Brenda Abram and Kathy, her twin sister, and Cynthia, if she's around, I think she's in kids' ministry. Uh, I met them all through the Isabel was working on Lancome. Uh, Kathy, you were on Estee Lauder. Like I met all these amazing girls. That I wouldn't know to this day had it not been for God opening that job. And I'm sure if I did a survey and I'd say, how many of you have ever had something? Maybe the buying of a house that you know God was in control. It was out of your hands. Amen. We're going to look at five ways God will make a way where there is no way. The first one. He will make a way for blessing and provision. I've heard testimonies of people that say, you know, I got this check in the mail. Or a relative I didn't even know was living passed away and I got an inheritance. Or how many of you ever had where your tax return is more than you thought it would be? And you're pleasantly surprised. He can make a way for blessing and provision. Now, I want to turn quickly to Numbers 27. Numbers 27. I'm not going to read the whole thing for time, but it's the five daughters of Zelophehad. How many of you have heard of Zelophehad? Well, it was a guy who had five daughters, and their names are Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. And it says in Numbers 27, verse 2, "...they stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest, and before the leaders at the door of the tent of meeting, saying, "'Our father died in the wilderness.'" Yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a possession among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer the inheritance to the daughter. Now what they did, this had never happened. And if you understand the history In Israel, it was a very, very, very patriarchal society. Women were nothing, less than nothing. So if their father died and they weren't married and they had no sons, they got nothing. They were at the mercy of a relative or whoever would take them in. And these these five sisters said, well, that's not right. Why shouldn't we be able to inherit our father's land? And they made this appeal before Moses, and I'm sure they did it in a godly and respectful way. And Moses took it to the Lord, and God said, yep. And so from that time on, not only did these five daughters get the land that, that they believed was rightfully theirs, the law was changed, and from that day on, women could inherit land. A lot of people look at this as the first uh, women's rights appeal. And notice they made a point of saying, our father wasn't among the rebellion. They made a point of saying, you know... I know there was a bunch of hassle a while back, but my dad wasn't involved in that. He was a godly man, and he died with no son. And that's an example of God making a way where there was no way. That is a first-time miracle because these women spoke up. And women, I just want to say to you today, you have a voice too. You have a voice in your home. Do you know how often I've talked to women over the years that have said, well... My husband, maybe he's not a Christian. Maybe he is or maybe he isn't. My husband allows the kids to do that or watch this on TV. And, you know, and I'd say, well, you know what? You need to speak up in a right way, in a respectful way. You've got a voice, and God speaks to you. And sometimes women and mothers You know, the world calls it women's intuition. The Bible calls it discernment. And sometimes in a home, they will sense something or feel something, even possibly before the husband does. And women, you need to speak up and be able to share that. Not in a negative, I'm holier than thou way. I know I've shared the example before because it's as vivid as if it was yesterday about this gal who came into our church I know I've shared this. She came to Christ, got radically saved, and decided, I don't want to listen to any more of this garbage music with all the filth in it. And she went home, and her husband had an unbelievable music collection. He's poor guys at work. She gets a garbage bag and throws out all his music. He comes home, and he is flipping out, yelling, screaming, swearing. You know, how, how could you have done that? She's telling me the story, and I'm thinking... That's, that was not yours to do. I said, well, what did you do? Hoping she would say, I apologized. I repented. I realized I got carried away, you know. But she didn't. She did the opposite. He's yelling, screaming, carrying on, swearing. She looked at him. She used to always point her fingers. She says, I looked him in the eye, and I said, instead of getting mad at me, why don't you get mad at the devil? Because he's the one making you listen to all this stuff. Believe it or not, that guy ended up coming to Christ. They've since moved away, long since moved away. He came to Christ and got delivered from five years on lithium for depression. So maybe she knew more than I thought she did. But my point is, you have a voice and that's not necessarily the way to do it. But women, you need to speak up. And husbands, you need to listen to your wives at times. At times, they've got some extra discernment or wisdom that can speak into a situation. Can all the husbands say amen? (laughs) Two, he is the way maker for health and healing. Let's turn to Luke 8. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Luke 8, starting at 43, says, And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I was aware that power had gone out. When the woman saw that she did not escape notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. And how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Again, if you know the history, she was considered ceremonially unclean. She could not; she wasn't allowed out in public. In fact, even in her own home, she would have been isolated. And this had gone on for 12 years. She would have been sickly. She would have been anemic. Some historians believe she would have been doubled right over. That's how weak and sickly, and, and you know what it's like when someone throngs someone. If you've ever been somewhere where there's a mob uh, out of control, you realize how dangerous a, a mob can be. Yet somehow, she, in that unclean, weak, sickly state, pressed through the whole crowd and got to Jesus, touched his garment, and was healed. God made a way for her where there was no way. And obviously, we're not in any way against doctors. Doctors are awesome. But if you're battling health issues, sometimes God will make a way for you where there is no natural way. When doctors don't have the answers, we've got to get used to going to the Lord first. That should be our first resort, not our last resort. I just heard a testimony a couple weeks ago of a woman in our church. And uh, she got in a car accident a year or two ago, and wrecked her knee, and um, she's been going to doctors, going to physio, she's pretty much, it's really affected her life, it was starting to get better, and then just a few weeks ago, she got in another car accident, and wrecked the same knee, Doctors said she knocked it right out of alignment, she went to her C group, had her C group pray for her, the knee came back into alignment, and now she's well, just like that. Because our God can make a way in the area of healing. And let's not get so caught up in all the other alternatives that are out there that we forget that our God is the healer. How many would say you know there's been a time in your life where you were supernaturally healed? Yeah, me too, for sure. For sure. If we had time, we could hear all kinds of testimonies. Third, He is the way maker when doors are shut. Isaiah 22 says that he shuts doors that no man can open and opens doors that no man can shut. Revelation 3 picks picks that same uh, verse up again. Our God opens and shuts doors. We won't turn to it, but in Exodus 14, you all know it, the story of the children of Israel escaping Pharaoh's army behind them. They get to the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, you know, the enemy is going to be upon them. Moses holds out his staff. The sea opens up and they go through on dry land. Because God can open doors. He can even open an ocean if he needs to. He opens doors that no man can shut. He shuts doors that no man can open. Now, we all rejoice when a door is open for us, right? Praying for something, say that say that demo job, rejoice. But how come we don't rejoice when sometimes God has to shut doors? Because the Bible says he'll lead you and guide you. The Bible says you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Well, sometimes to stay on that path, some doors have to be shut. Why don't we rejoice when doors are shut? Have you ever gone into your C group and had someone show up and say, I've got an awesome praise report tonight? You know that job I've been believing God for? For a year, and I've been fasting, and you guys have been praying, and I made it to the third interview. Praise God, I didn't get it. (laughs) And everybody cheer and rejoice and say, Wow, thank God, because obviously that wasn't what God had for you. We don't look at it that way, do we? When doors are shut, it's a negative. Now, uh, I'm going to tell a story going back. I actually just found out from Colleen this morning. Because I told the story last night. She and Craig were in service. And I said, I don't remember when that was. I'm trying to forget. She said, it was December 18th, 1993. <laughs> she remembered the date of a story. Here's the story, and you'll see why she remembers the date. <clears throat> we had <clears throat> we'd only been pastoring not even 10 years, if it was 93. And the little building, which is the kid's own room, was filled up. So we realized we need to buy... Um, either a piece of land and build or a property. So we started aggressively looking. And, you know, you might think, well, how difficult is it for a church to find a new building? When you've got a school, very difficult. It's not just like going from one building to the next. So we started looking. Craig and Colleen were our real estate agents. And um, we would find a building. And this went on for about two years. Every time we would find a building... We'd look at it and think, huh, this could work. This looks like it'll work for us. We'd go to put in an offer. Boom, it's sold from under us. We even looked at land, land that nothing had ever been built on. As my husband said, it's been there since the creation of eternity. No one has ever, the minute we look at it, it's, it's bought. This went on for two years. Every time we'd look at land or a building, no matter how long it sat for, just like that, it would sell. I said to my husband, we are affecting the entire real estate market in Hamilton. <laughs> we were, and it was discouraging. We'd go to other churches. I remember a pastor, friends of ours in um, in Cornwall, Ontario, invited us down to show us this big building God had given them, and they're showing us around, and they knew we'd been looking for a long time. And there, I remember at the end, I remember the wife going, well, we just did this to encourage you that if God did this for us, he can do it for you. And, you know, I'm being very nice, but I'm walking away thinking, that's discouraging me. <laughs> that's another person who got provision, and we didn't. So it was brutal. Then one day, we found what looked to be the perfect building. Now, if you're a Hamiltonian, you right, you might remember. It was called the Hamilton Racquetball Club on Stone Church East next to Mountain Bowl, Hamilton Mountain Bowl. Beautiful red brick building. We went through it, perfect, big open areas because it was a racquetball court. Could accommodate our school, our church, good area, tons of parking. We thought, this is it. So we went to Craig and said, This is it. We're going to put in an offer on this. People, the church went through it. Guess what happened? Craig phones and says, Another group all of a sudden wants it. It's been vacant forever. And it's a, a Muslim group. So we're thinking, okay, we're Christians. We're believers. They're Muslims. Who is God going to give the building to? So then, so we put in our offer. They put in their offer. I think the offers were almost identical. Then there was a 40-day wait. Even the 40 days is biblical, right? Uh, Another confirmation that it was ours. People, our people were awesome. People were going around in the middle of the night so they didn't look weird. Praying around the building, shouting, marching around at seven times. We fasted, we prayed, we had prayer meetings. The 40 days went on, and then day 40, which apparently, according to Colleen, was December 18th, 1993. We got the call from Craig. The Muslims got the building. And to this day, it's, it's Hamilton Mosque next to Hamilton We were devastated. We were, I mean, it's not just not getting one building, guys. It was like two years of everything going from under you. It was like the culmination. We went to dinner that night. I remember I'm sitting there bawling in the restaurant. Every time the waitress would come over, I tried to pull myself together. And I remember she was probably thinking, what is going on here? we were thinking, what should we do? Like every door is shut. We even got talking about should we go back. Bob used to sell life insurance. He was very successful. I worked at TD Bank. We're thinking, should we just pack this in? Um, Maybe God's not with us. Maybe we should go back and get jobs and because clearly nothing is opening up. And then about a week later was our annual MFI Minister's Fellowship International Conference down in Utica at Cervello's Church and Pastor Dick Iverson was there. And we went and we'd pulled ourselves out of it, by the way. You get over it, right? You get over it. So we were acting normal is my point. We weren't walking around depressed. <laughs> acting normal, happy, cheerful. Pastor Iverson sees us and after the first night he says, I want to see you two, eight o'clock tomorrow morning for breakfast. And this is what we say he is a father and there's not many fathers. Pastor Iverson was a father. At the memorial a few weeks ago, thousands from all over the world with stories about he was a father to them. And he sat down with us at breakfast and said, what's going on? We told him the whole story. And I remember at the end of it, he said, I don't know what God has for you. But he said, I promise you, you will look back one day and say what God had for us is better than what we thought. He said, I promise you. And we were encouraged, and we came back. And that, actually, is what prompted us to build right here. We thought, obviously, we can't buy land, and we can't buy a building. God must want us to build right here. How many of you came in to this church in this sanctuary here? See, a lot of you. And you wouldn't be here, possibly, if the church wasn't here. Back when all this happened, you've got to realize there was no such thing as campuses, You had a church in a city. There was no such thing as campuses, but God knew back then that there was. So now here we are decades later, and how awesome is it that we're going to have this campus up on the West Mountain. We have a unique city that's on two levels, and our second campus below the escarpment in the East End. And God knew that back then, but we didn't. All we saw was a, a shut door, a slammed door. And I want to encourage you uh, this morning. When God shuts a door, it's for a reason. You really should write that down. <laughs> Is it in the notes? Does anyone know? Is it in the mobile? Okay, it's in the mobile. <clears throat> Melissa always picks the right sentences to put in them in the notes. I want to show you an example in Scripture where a door was slammed shut, and it's in Acts sixteen. Verse 6 to 7. This is Paul and his team with Silas. And it says they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, they're trying to go to Asia, and they're forbidden to speak the word. And then it says they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. For some reason, the Lord did not let them go into this place called Bithynia. So they ended up in Troas. Then during the night, Paul had the vision of a man in Macedonia asking for him to come and help. So after the vision, he realized, okay, I guess God wants us to go to Macedonia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in one thing, and yet it was a good thing. Sometimes when something is a good thing, we justify it, don't we? It's got to be God's will because it's good. Preaching in Asia was a good thing, but it wasn't God's plan. He has this vision from this man in Macedonia. They go to Macedonia, and as was their custom, whenever they went into a region, they picked the foremost city. And so the foremost city in Macedonia was Philippi. They went to Philippi, started preaching in the synagogue there. The first person they met, the Bible says, you can read it in Acts, was a woman named Lydia, A seller of purple, it says they shared the word with her. She came to Christ and her house. Then they had this demon-possessed woman walking behind them, heckling them and yelling and screaming. And they turned around and ministered to her. And she got delivered, and she got saved, and her household. And then her bosses found out that they've lost their income. So they took Paul and Silas and threw them in jail. And you know the story. They're in jail. And again, all they did was obey God. And they ended up in jail. Sometimes we think when we are obeying God, everything's going to be wonderful. That's not in the Bible. I wish that was in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. And the jailer was going to kill himself. And they, they said, don't. We're all here. Nobody's going anywhere. The jailer gets saved and his family. So the great New Testament church in Philippi that the book of Philippians is written to started with Lydia The demon-possessed girl, and the jailer. That was the planting of that church. So God shut a door over here in order to open something awesome over here. And the problem is we can't see it at the time the door is being shut. All we see is a door slammed shut, and it causes us to get confused, discouraged, depressed. Instead of realizing when God shuts a door, if you're a believer and you're following him with all your heart, it's for a reason. And you might not know until decades later. You might know a week later, but you might not know for a long time why God shut that door. By the way, let me just throw in, a Macedonian call is what that passage has come to be known as when there's a group of people meeting, and it looks like a church is going to be birthed. It's a biblical way. Just thought I'd throw this in. Our church was birthed out of a Macedonian call. I know you've heard the story we preached a couple years ago and gave you the whole church history. And it was one family, the Evans family, in Hamilton that were meeting. There was no non-denominational churches that worshipped that way. And they made a call to uh, a church out in Vancouver, B.C., said, we've got a group here. Can you send someone? And they sent Pastor Hugh and Audrey Lazell, and that's how this church was planted. I thought that was interesting. So having that dinner in the restaurant after the door was slammed shut, how come it wasn't a happy celebratory dinner? How come we weren't sitting there going, praise God, he shut that door? We came this close to buying the wrong building. Isn't it interesting just the way we look at things? And I remember, and then Brother Dick saying, I promise you. I've never forgotten that over the years. I promise you what you'll be, what you'll end up in is better. I walked through Cumberland the other day and all the chairs are stacked up. They're black. It's going to look awesome. And the decor and we've got one of the best architects, David Premi, in the city working with us. And it is going to be amazing. And I walk through it and I think God saw this when we were still in the little building that's now the kids' own room. God saw this. God saw the two campuses. Amen. It's exciting. Four, he makes a way for us to see him in impossible situations. And this is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. We won't turn to it. These passages are really long. But he knew Jesus was going to be passing, and the Bible says he was a wealthy tax collector, and he was short. That's all we know about him. Wealthy, tax collector, short. And he knew Jesus was going to be passing his way. So he climbed up into a tree. And Jesus, as he's walking again, you got a picture throngs. It's not just a few people walking down the street. Throngs. They get to that tree. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your place today. Salvation has come to your house. Zacchaeus had a true repentance. Read through that. No excuses. He said, if I've wronged anyone, I'll give it back fourfold. The tax collectors were despised. Here he was, wealthy, probably dressed to the nines, humbled himself to climb up a tree. He positioned himself to receive a miracle from the Lord. Sometimes we need to position ourselves to receive. Sometimes we don't. We do all the wrong things instead of saying, God, I want to position myself to receive what you have for me. And God can make a way where there is no way. It opened the door for salvation to come to his house. He had no excuses. He said, I've done this wrong. Um, If I've wronged anyone, parents, there's a good principle in there for your kids. Don't let them make excuses. Kids are so good at making, I did that because this and that. and They are so good at weaving a tangled web of stories and deceit. And some Christian parents think, oh, my Johnny would never lie. He goes to elevate. He would never tell a lie. I hate to tell you this, parents. He probably will tell a lie at some point. I know you've heard stories about Jason and Jeff that I won't bore you with, but there was more than one occasion when Linda and I got in the car and went and followed them and spied on them because they weren't where they were supposed to be. Okay. Don't take excuses. Okay, if a kid comes home from school and he did something wrong, agree with the punishment. In fact, double it. No, I'm I'm kidding, I'm (laughs) kidding. Five, and this is the most important one, five and the last one, and this one depends on us being willing. If we're willing, he can make a way for us to reach the harvest because that's what it's all about, reaching people. There's three things we can do with our lives interesting. It's the same three things you can do with money. You can waste it. Have you kids ever wasted money? Be honest. We've all wasted money. (laughs) You can waste your life. We've all known people that we've thought, what a waste of a life. They end up in drugs or substance abuse or whatever. And we think, what a waste of a life. You can waste your life. Second, you can spend your life just like your money. You can spend it. You can waste it or you can spend it. You can spend your life on things, not necessarily things that are wrong. Just spend your life doing the career, doing the job, buying the house, having the nice vacations, driving a nice car. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But you can spend your life just doing that. Or the third one, you can invest your life. And yes, hopefully you'll still have a house and a car and vacations. But you invest your life into winning others. It's not all about me and what I can get. There's a church out west um, that uh, I've been on their website a few times. I think the name of it is Together Church. And one of their uh, mottos, and they have a number of them, one of them is, we will never let this lifeboat turn into a pleasure cruise. And another one, which probably ruffles feathers, they say we will always put more time, energy, and resources into winning the lost than keeping the found. I mean, that's strong. In our culture, you get people, oh, don't you care about me anymore. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we got all kinds of programs. We've got everything from school to tea track to nursery to men's to what well, we got lots But our emphasis, the driving force behind the church has got to be winning the lost. It's not a Christian cruise line. Amen. So you can waste your life, you can spend your life, or you can invest your life. I want to invest my life. I want to be at the end of the line. And by the way, don't miss next week, Ask the Pastors, because one of the questions people are asking us is, what are we going to be doing come October after the transition? So we're going to be sharing with you uh, next week what we're going to be doing in October. So don't miss next week. But the point is, we're investing our lives. And I want to end one day, like Dick Iverson 87 years old. Two weeks earlier, he was in, a, in Europe somewhere on a missions trip. Worked right until God took him home. An investment of a lifetime. Amen? One of the things I've seen Christians sometimes do is they approach being a Christian. I, rec- I liken it to a Pandora bracelet. How many know what a Pandora bracelet is? How many have a Pandora bracelet? The guys are still putting their hands up. <laughs> it's a bracelet that you pretty much buy it bare, and then people buy you charms. So and that usually each charm means something. This is when I bought a house. This is when I had a baby. This whatever. People give you charms and you fill it up. And sometimes I'm afraid in our North American culture, where let's be honest, it doesn't cost us a whole lot uh, to be Christians, sometimes I'm afraid. In North America, we approach Christianity and serving God like a Pandora charm. I've got my house, I've got my car, I've had my vacation, I've got good family, I've got a nice lawn, I have some good hobbies, I'm in a golf league, oh, and i got Jesus there too. Yep, Jesus is one of the charms, and, and I know I'm a Christian because i got plaques in my house, and I go to church on Sunday, and, and he's just one of many things, You know, I live a good life now. I'm not doing the stuff I was doing before. And Jesus is in there and we pray before meals. The Bible says he's not a Pandora charm. The Bible says he's the pearl of great price. And when you find the pearl of great price, you will sell all to get it. We got saved. I know you've heard our testimony, Bob and I, back in the 70s, where there was a worldwide, it was a sovereign move of God. They called it the Jesus Movement. It was on the cover of Time Magazine. It was a sovereign move of God where young people in our generation got swept into the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, we sold all. There was no, we were the first ones saved in our family. So no church upbringing, no good church in the city. We used to drive to Toronto on Thursday night because at least there was a church that sang some choruses, and maybe you could do this without everybody looking at you like you're weird. So there was nothing. There was nothing like there is now. But you know what? We found the pearl of great price and we sold all. And my, my desire now, especially now at this season in life when my kids are grown, is to see my grandkids be what God has called them to be. None of this nonsense about, you know, Billy, you can be anything you want to be. Uh-uh. My grandkids can't be anything they want to be. They can be everything God has called them to be. Amen. And if God's called them to be a doctor, they're going to be the best doctor. They're going to reach many. They're going to be an influence in the hospital. They're going to touch lives. If God's called them to be a teacher. They're going to do the same there. They're going to be everything God has called them to be. I want to encourage you young people and parents. Parents, you don't want to raise followers, do you? You want to raise leaders. You want to raise young men and women that are going to impact and change their generation. And how do they do that? I believe, number one, by seeing that you have invested your life into the kingdom of God. And I believe when kids and grandkids, I'm amazed how generational the gospel is. Going to Pastor Iverson's memorial a few weeks ago and meeting all the pastors, too many to name our age, that we've been meeting with for 33 years And how many of them, their kids, are all serving God, pastoring, planting churches. Now the grandkids, you may have seen on Facebook this week, Giselle uh, Benia and her daughter Erica and her granddaughter Gigi all doing a women's conference. Now, I don't know how much Gigi did. She's only 13 years old. But the point is, it's generational. And kids are going to look at their parents. We didn't have that. We didn't have Christian parents. The houses we were raised in were Disasters To sound like Donald Trump, it was a disaster. But God got a hold of us, and we found the pearl of great price. And I want to encourage you today. He's worth investing your life for. And whatever you might be facing today, whether it's a financial wall, a physical wall where you need healing, a relational wall. Sometimes there's a relational wall where Jesus is the only one who can make a way where there is no way. Whatever wall you're facing today, he can make a way where there is no natural way. Trust him. Believe his word. Don't let closed doors or slam doors get you discouraged because God has a plan. And in his time, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And in his time, if you continue to seek him with your whole heart and put him first, his, I promise you, as Pastor Iverson said, I promise you, his plan will come to pass in your life and it will be good. And you'll look back one day and say, thank God I went through what I did because God had a plan. He's a way maker who'll make a way where there is no way. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. God, I thank you that you make streams in the desert and that you make paths in the wilderness. And I just pray for anyone here. I'm not going to call you forward, but just slip your hand up. If you're going through something now and you need the Lord to make a way, because in the natural, there is no way. As everyone keeps their heads.